0: Welcome in to Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, ready to rip it up in sunny Cincinnati. We are doing our college football week two review. Top performers, biggest risers, biggest fallers, bus watch, and more should be an absolute treat. We're also taking mailbag questions. Follow PFF underscore Tailgate on Twitter. Drop your questions there for our mailbag episode on Thursdays. Next stop, Auburn at Penn State whiteout season. We'll see you there this weekend. Let's get it. Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is, I think, under a lot of scrutiny for yesterday's performance. And I argue, rightfully so, three fumbles were costly. The three fumbles were costly. I'm not saying he's a bad quarterback. I'm not saying the NFL has solved Lamar Jackson. I'm not overreacting. That's what it sounds like you're saying. No, he's a very talented quarterback that made some crucial mistakes that I think ultimately cost him that game. That's a fact. That fumble late... Was horrendous on third down when they could have a, they could have punted and extended that game. And then as he was moving with uh, you know that other fumble that he had earlier in that game before overtime, could have wrapped the ball up better and puts that one on the turf. Like those two fumbles cost the Ravens the game, like full stop. I do think that those are the concerns. And while everyone is roasting Daniel Jones for the turnovers that he has and the fumbles that he has, you know Lamar Jackson comes off a week where th- those fumbles were just inexcusable.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's never like. An excuse for turnovers. There's never, no matter how there bad is super situation for picks. I mean, when it's
0: tipped and all these different things. Okay, picks, like, yeah, that's but fine. I'm saying
1: like turnovers that are your fault. There's no excuse for turnovers that are your fault. And he had a lot. <laughs> but Ravens had the lowest pass blocking grade of any team in the NFL this past week. That their tackles, Alejandro Villanueva. We talked about Penay Sewell struggling with switch to right tackle. Alejandro Villanueva had no clue what he was doing out there. He was getting absolutely put in the turf any single time there was an obvious passing situation. He had no chance. That, and then the, add on to the fact that Ronnie Stanley probably had the worst game of his career. And, and an interesting thing I will get to—I'll just say it right now. I, I think the way the the excuse me, the Raiders didn't. Most teams go against the Ravens' offensive line and kind of must rush, basically try to contain Lamar Jackson, keep him in the pocket. The Raiders were not. The Raiders were going inside moves with their edge guys. They were going hard speed rushes. They were not sort of respecting the rushing threat that is Lamar Jackson. They said, if he breaks the pocket, he breaks the pocket. We want to get pressure on him. It'll be interesting to see if other teams see that and the success that the Raiders had against those tackles and say, hey, maybe we send our edge guys at him too. Maybe we try to get that pressure on too to rattle him. Maybe they are weak there and we can actually take advantage of this because that uh, last year you didn't see that nearly as often. So I think that is one thing that Yeah, the pass blocking was a little untenable. That was not... A lot of guys would have struggled with that, but I do think Lamar Jackson does fair does shoulder his fair share of the blame in that scenario.
0: That, that's all I'm asking. I'm not, I am I think some people come out of that game and say, Lamar Jackson did everything he did to win that game. And maybe he did, but still gave up some costly turnovers. Two fumbles that I think could have been avoided. Absolutely could have been avoided. The biggest issue, though, is what you hit on. Alejandro Villanueva and Ronnie Stanley both earned sub-50.0 pass walking grade. They allowed 17 pressures between the two of them. It was like one of the worst tackle duo performances we've seen. Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby have the two of the three highest pass rush win rates of any player in the NFL right now because go- they were just teeing off on Stanley and Villanueva. A- and those are good edge rushers. Don't get me wrong. They are not that
1: caliber of edge rushers. Like they should not have Don't been tell them that. utterly... Unblockable the way they were. That they a lot of that's still on the tackle.
0: Board. And Yanni Kanakwe got hurt in the first half. They didn't even play this back half. That's why you know Carl Nassib played good reps for them too. Like he earned a really high yeah, grade. It was basically, anyone in this game who got as thrown well.
1: out there was getting pressure.
0: Absurd, absurd. Defensively too. What was your takeaway from Martindale just locking in in this cover zero? I mean, you were watching the Manning cast. So we'll talk a little bit about that too. But like they're like every play is in cover zero again. Cover zero again. Cover one again. Like every time they're like, okay. We know it's man. We know it's man. And for most of the game. The Raiders' receivers couldn't create separation to save their lives. You know, Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs didn't have a target until like deep into the third quarter co- re- reception. I think deep into the third or fourth quarter. But in the end of that game, you saw Brian Edwards show up, Henry Ruggs have that huge reception, and obviously Zay Jones comes free as Marlon Humphrey runs into another defender. They, I do think that it kind of exhausted that cover one or cover, you know, that heavy man coverage look, and eventually, you know, Derek Carr and company took over.
1: Yeah, I mean, they still didn't give up that many points. It wasn't like they got exposed by any means. I, I don't think it was that big a deal. It was just some, you're know, running two man at the end, and like the two minute situation was where I'd more question. Not the cover zero stuff. That's kind of their bread and butter. That's what they do. So I didn't really, uh, I wouldn't be too critical of that. I thought they had success with it early on enough to where it wasn't a big deal.
0: Other highlights in this game: Colton Miller, one of the highest graded offensive tackles in the NFL right now, after what was a really, really outstanding performance for him. Derek Carr and Darren Waller—they <laughs> were—they were targeting. You know, Derek Carr was targeting Darren Waller to the point where it's being memed, and probably rightfully so. It was absurd. Um, but your opinion of Derek Carr's performance in this game—I saw it as the tale of three and a half quarters versus the last half of this game where he started really shaky, very, really inaccurate, which is uncharacteristic to Derek Carr. But then as the game progressed, specifically late in the fourth quarter, just showed up in a huge way, strike after strike after strike, specifically those tosses to Brian Edwards. I've said this probably multiple times on this podcast, five plus times. Derek Carr is the best player on this football team. And when you include positional value over Derek Waller, if you want to argue talent, argue talent. This is, he is the best player on this football team. He's a top 12 quarterback in the NFL. Borderline top 10 when he's hitting The reason the Raiders are four-point dogs in this game at home, the reason the Raiders are not even – they're plus 300 to make the playoffs is because this roster is horrendous. Now, they showed up against the Baltimore Ravens. Can they continue to exceed expectations? It'll be interesting. But Derek Carr, I think, will continue to ball out like he did.
1: I do have to give a hat tip to Mike Mayock because the signings of Casey Hayward, K.J. Wright, Yannick Ngakwe all came up big in this one. Like, those were all – like, shit, those look like you know three of their best defensive stars right now. And that's obviously also an indictment of how he's drafted in recent years. But those three guys, those three signings over the course of this offseason, I think are going to be to massively improve this Raiders defense. Again, it's going to be difficult to not improve, but I think just what they bring to the table is something that they've been missing at all three of those. Positions.
0: I mean, all they had to do was make... Cleveland Furrell healthy and active and played Damon Arnett one snap for this defense to improve. I mean they put on you put on veteran free agents. You're gonna you're going to perform better given yeah. the performance of these rookies. So I'm not all that surprised by that. When you replace Damon Arnett and Cleveland Furrell with actual production productive players like Casey Hayward and Gakway, you're gonna see success. How much do you think Marlon Humphrey wants to kill
1: Chris Westry? Or how much how how did he even look at him in the locker room after that? I don't think so. After that blast, he got picked. Obviously, Westry picks him on the last play, the touchdown to Zay Jones. Where, I mean, that's Marlon Humphrey. You have no chance at that point. We're, we put the coverage stats on him, but we don't downgrade a guy in that scenario because, shit, you can't. Like, that. that is, he got screwed by Chris Westry. Chris Westry should be, you know, even though not technically responsible, that was his fault
0: in that last touchdown. Humphrey did tweet out i think it's crazy to feel it's crazy feeling giving up the game winning touchdown and (laughs) he's talking about specifically and then did he tag chris westry i don't know he didn't tag chris westry did you see the tweet i sent out of him absolutely destroying hunter renfro for fun on that play in the beginning
1: just that's i mean when a quarterback breaks the pocket you gotta you gotta be wary of that a cornerback that's like the richard sherman from back in the day against uh, Devontae
0: Adams. A couple more things before we get to the college football slate here. We're doing a full college football review. The Manning cast, I don't have a lot to say about it outside of it, it was objectively better than honestly any other. I was paying attention to the broadcast, which I rarely do. And I pay attention to that broadcast because it was objectively better than other stuff that I've seen. So
1: I. Oh, I love it. Okay. I'm just be like more of a take on announcers in general. It's just, I feel like everyone likes the announcers that are prepared to know the game and know, like, what's going on. It's, mm-hmm. like, not that difficult, I don't want to say, like, to be good at it. But it's just so many guys seemingly mail it in, don't have a handle on the schemes, the players, the whatever, when, like, that's their job. Like, you can tell the quality difference when someone actually knows what's going on in a football game and when they don't. And that's kind of – I mean, the, obviously Peyton and Eli are, are – or Peyton especially is very entertaining as a human being. But more just, like, them knowing, like – not just it's not even just X's and O's, but basically like how the game works is so much. It's so so refreshing compared to just ninety five percent NFL broadcast.
0: I will say it can be cleaned up a ton. It was obviously a bit of a circus trying to get to commercial breaks. It was like a circus though. Like they, I would have liked it to be less chaotic. Yeah, it was chaotic but entertaining. It was also super new, and I think a lot of people took to that. They did not comment on the game a ton, and I do think they knew what was going on in the game. But something that I do think it was lacking was like just overall like player. Knowledge, like I mean, yeah. neither Manning knew even knew who Zay Jones was on that reception. So, like, and I don't think that that doesn't concern me, but I do think to the average fan, mm-hmm. I think it was a broadcast for high end football fans who don't need people describing what the play is from a high In level. Their handheld, you, yeah, yeah you, you don't need your handheld that you can see the play. You know what happened. You don't need the every a comment on every single play, a play by play on every single play. But when you want this high level com- or in-depth conversation about going for it and all these things when they had Russell Wilson on. I thought that was utterly fantastic. I'm encouraged to, or excited to watch more of that moving forward. Last thing here, friend of the show going down after two weeks. Top 25 team according to PFS Power Rankings. USC fires Clay Helton, a new era in USC. Let's not focus too much on Helton leaving. Talk to me oh, about... not focus on Helton leaving. Talk to me... Okay, go ahead. Six years
1: there. Was it seven years? Six years after being interim for like a half year zero like the fact they lasted this long the fact that you allowed him last year then two games into this year uh malpractice on usc's part what was their
0: expectation yeah
1: because that was the two for it to get better just immediately overnight i don't know but that uh that was not like they're they are in shambles i'm curious to see if they can really pull a big name to usc
0: what's the big name that's the other thing is like who
1: would be the big name everyone's gonna say urban meyer it would urban Meyer's not gonna fucking leave for usc and and brady quinn tweeted out he could have left for usc last year if you want he could have had it last year if you wanted to so uh, knowing that it would be very doubtful if he does that uh it's one game into his nfl coaching career that would be utterly absurd but I, i i think the name that i would be the most intrigued by is matt campbell iowa state i know uh Bruce Feldman put out a list of names, uh, most likely candidates included Mario Cristobal from Morgan, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, uh, obviously Campbell, James Franklin from Penn State, and Tony Elliott from Clemson, the offense coordinator there. I, I think Campbell's the one I'd be most intrigued by because he's obviously way, way overachieved considering talent level at Iowa State. You know, mm-hmm. they have not, they don't have a recruiting base. They don't have uh, a tradition. They don't have shit much out there in names, mm-hmm. but they've won games. So I'd be intrigued by him. I think the more likely one's probably Fickle, though.
0: Fickle to USC would be sick for him. Obviously, I know the University of Cincinnati loves the guy, and they already lost Marcus Freeman to Notre Dame. Yeah. So I think having the heir apparent removed, and I, I think Luke Fickle, though, now that they're moving to the Big Ten, a uh, Big Twelve, there could be you know a legitimate opportunity thing. for him to like stay it's there stay. and like le- like build a you know team forward. So another a couple other names: Billy Napier, ULM, you know. Mm friend of the our pod friend of the pod and then also Jamie Chadwell another friend of the pod maybe getting their jobs at USC should be a treat hey, who's there. your biggest friend of the pod that you want to see at USC N- not, not like doesn't Drink have to be realistic all, yeah, Eli Eli Drinkwitz is my guy literally my blood
1: were you yeah. crying when they lost to Kentucky I
0: literally shed tears it yeah. was a tough, tough scene you were right next to me it was, <laughs> uh, it was literally crying tears uh, shall we get to our reactions to the college football top 25 yes sir That was a fun Catch and Early Buzz segment, by the way. A lot of Monday Night Football takes. A lot of good times, good times. All right, reactions to the college football top 25. I'm going to read off the top 10. According to the AP poll, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, and Oregon after a big upset win that we were on the field for over Ohio State. They are number four now right behind Oklahoma, Georgia, and Bama. Then big win over Iowa State, upset win, four-and-a-half point dogs. Iowa jumps up to five. Clemson's now at six. Texas A&M at seven, even though they just barely squeaked out a win over Colorado. Cincinnati at eight, Ohio State down to nine, and then Penn State at ten. Give me your overvalued team and your undervalued team in the AP Top Twenty-five.
1: I still think Notre Dame at twelve is overvalued. Wow, I'm saying I'm doing it. I hate to do it, but they are. They went to overtime with the team that just lost to an FCS team in Florida State. And then they needed a touchdown within the final minute to beat Toledo. This is a flawed roster, and a number of positions they are still not on the defensive side of the ball. Marcus Freeman still not kind of got his feet underneath them with the talent that they have, mm-hmm. scheming to that talent and what that all takes. So I, I'm worried. I'll say about Wisconsin coming up, Cincy coming up, some other teams in their schedule. So Notre Dame at 12. I think it's overvalued, but there are some other teams up there overvalued as well.
0: Yeah, I think you know Iowa is a name. I think a lot, of, a team, a lot of people will say is overvalued just because so much of their success has been predicated on some volatile areas of play, some defensive touchdowns, not necessarily stellar quarterback play. And you could say the same for Texas A and M. Like Texas A and M does not have a good situation under center. And when you're trying to compete with the big dogs and, yeah. and be a top four team, you need to have kind of that next level player at quarterback. But I think the team I am going to highlight is um, actually a little bit further away: Arizona State, which is at 19. Two zero, yes. Thirtieth ranked team in PFF's power rankings. They have not, in my opinion, even met expect you know relatively high expectations, preseason expectations in the games that they have played. I think they're not necessarily fraudulent, but I don't expect them to be a top twenty team for much longer. As I think they lose forward. against BYU this weekend, they could. I think they could lose against BYU. I think that's that's a BYU looked really good against Utah Utes. You I thought we're going to cover that number and win that game, and they did not. I think BYU. Um, I think they've reloaded along the offensive line. They got Tyler Algier. I, I Algiers. Algiers,
1: th- horse. I guess a horse. monster,
0: absolute horse. All right, your uh, undervalued team, and it's not twenty-five.
1: They got jumped by two different teams, and is your Cincinnati hometown Bearcats. We've talked about how they're actually loaded with NFL talent, more so than you know. You think about a group of five teams being not necessarily. On par talent wise, maybe they have like a schematic advantage, is why they go undefeated or, or end up making like a bowl, a bigger bowl. But no, Cincinnati actually can punch them out. They got the horses to do so. Now their offensive line still an issue, but they have a quarterback who's going to be draft, going to get drafted. They have a receiver who's going to get drafted. They have a tight end who's going to get drafted. They have multiple, probably four or five guys on the defensive side of the ball. They're going to have probably top five to six amount of drafted prospects of any school in the country. They are, for my money, better than Texas A&M better than Iowa, better than Oregon, just from a just talent perspective. I, I think they are at number eight. When you're getting jumped, I think maybe a little unfairly at this point.
0: I'm going to do something for our producer, David, so far. I got an undervalued team that I think he's going to like. This. I, hate, I, think I hate this already. Michigan yep. is a bit undervalued. Just mm-hmm. cracked the top 25. They have a top 10 offense in EPA per play. Top 25 in the power five, fo- or, um, Sorry, it, top, top 20 in EPA per play allowed on defense. Aiden Hutchinson coming off a monster game over Washington where they were six-point favorites and blew them out at home. Michigan, I'm not saying is back, but I think they're undervalued at 25. I think they're better than a lot of the other teams that are slightly above them. I think they're better than Arizona State. I think they're better than Arkansas. I think they're better than Coastal Carolina. I, I think this is a very good football team. I think Michigan continues to climb up the ranks. I like Michigan this year, and I'm not – preseason – I would put the line Ohio State Michigan at like minus thirty in favor of Columbus, in favor of Ohio State. But it's in Ann Arbor this year, and we were at. We've talked a lot about Ohio State, and CJ Stroud has not played well. That's a big reason they lost that Oregon game. We can talk about that, but that offensive line also got beat up without Kayvon Thibodeau. Defensively, they're the second worst team in the Power Five in the EPA per play allowed through two weeks. This Ohio State defense did not look good. This Ohio State offense has flaws. They have a really good receiving core, and that's just about it. The spread's still going to be largely in favor of Ohio State. They are the better football team. I'm not saying Michigan is better, but oh buddy, let's not fle- let's not sleep on go blue. Yeah, they they have a lot of talent defensively.
1: Uh, I still think offensively, I'm not buying it. I mean, K. Matt passed for 44 yards. It went seven to fifteen for 44 yards against Washington. Washington you don't need to. You got Blake. Corum. Washington, Washington straight burning one of the best secondaries in the country this year <laughs> with a dog shit offense because they've allowed like 150 yards passing through two games. Yikes! And lost both. That is. That is kind of – that's difficult to do, honestly. So, uh, yeah, I I can't – actually, 149, not even 150. Uh, But, yeah, I think Michigan, until I see it from Cade McNamara, I'll I'll pump said breaks on them undervalued. But 25, but but their defense is legit. I'll say that.
0: All right. before we get into our top performers from College Football Week 2 and review some of the risers and fallers, let's get into our DraftKings sponsor. Week 1 may be over, but the season's just getting started at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off Week 2, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when they bet $1 on any football game. Simple enough. Listen up because you don't want to miss this. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of $1 on any Week 2 game to receive $200 in free bets instantly if Sportsbook is not yet available in your state. DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total. Prizes with the first deposit. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. Only new customer only minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. We are on to our top performers. And I'm going to kick this thing off. We talked a little bit about him on the Monday, so we're going to bring it home here on the Wednesday episode. Quarterback Sam Howell mm-hmm. was an absolute baller. And were they who were they playing? Austin, Austin P. P. Austin P., one of the worst programs in all of college football. But still... Super impressive as a thrower. He obviously had that dime deep ball that was your cake your cake your pass moment from Monday's episode. But That's honestly, weird. I was I was kind of stunned how much North Carolina leverages him as a runner. He had that long rushing touchdown that I thought was I did not expect him to have the wheels to do that. And I know a lot not a lot of people on Austin Pierre running four threes or four fours, but still he looked like legit a weapon as a runner for North Carolina. It was also a big bounce back week for him. You know, he's not going to be a run in the NFL. He's not going to be a runner in the NFL. Yeah. But I don't I think he's got s- sneaky. Oh, don't you dare! Sneaky. I uh, no, I think he's fat. I mean, he like, he looks fast. I mean, he's definitely not not an athlete. He's I not bet he runs a four
1: there. seven five. Fair enough. Which, I mean, that you can run an option run, uh, run with him. Like you, you can, you'll have to respect it.
0: I, I mean, I, I think no, he had run. to respect it because he looked really good as a
1: runner. Obviously, looked good. Like I, I, I don't feel like I feel the same way about Spencer Rattler, who's next on this list, where you're not going to involve him in your run game. Like, you're not going to run a quarterback power with him too much. But you have to respect him. And when he breaks the pocket, you have to respect that. And that's how I feel about Sam
0: Hall. Obviously, Sam Howell won against low-level competition, but I know you highlighted Howell as a bit of a faller after week one. Where's your head at with Howell now? Yeah, I mean, that, it's,
1: that's I don't really care about that game at all. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, it's awesome Pete. I mean, those throws are sick. We know he has a cannon. It's more about, like, what does he do when it's difficult? Yeah, has been the issue last year's Notre Dame game, obviously last week against Virginia Tech and some more games on the schedule this year. We'll see.
0: Spencer Rattler. I know another guy that we've highlighted as having a tough week one performance this week again against low level competition. So it was Tulane, though. Ninety one point seven PFF grade. I thought it looked really good in this one, too.
1: Yeah, I I mean, we're waiting for the real games on the schedule before we're actually going to care about what. So he's gone through two weeks now without a big time throw because that's just the Oklahoma offense. Mm -hmm. He's put up ridiculous stats. 75.8 completion percentage through two weeks. But it's just been too easy. And for him to have, like I said, three turnover plays last week, obviously none this week, but it's Western Carolina. So
0: we will go TBD
1: until some real compo for
0: him. Two quarterbacks going against cupcake competition. I think you'll see that a lot with some of the highest-graded players in college football. Yeah, I mean, Matt Corral
1: had a good week this past week, but you're also playing – gosh, who he even play at? uh so then alabama alabama state maybe like you you just not get until these guys are in the conference schedule which was a nice part about last year when you had not a lot of cupcakes on their schedules but until we see some real deal competition we're just not gonna not gonna know
0: What about Icky Aquana? We watched that tape on the drive back from Columbus, putting everyone in an absolute blender. He's one of the highest graded offensive tackles in the country right now for NC State. Another really, really impressive game as a run blocker, but also keeping relatively clean sheets in pass protection.
1: Yeah, now this was a guy that I highlighted who was going to be on the biggest riser list because 58 pass blocking snaps, not a single pressure. The best pass blocking performance of his career for my money. Now, it's Mississippi State. It's an SEC team. It's not... An SEC team known for their defensive end talent. It's obviously uh, Mike Leach, not known for producing a lot of defensive talent. They was not going up against necessarily guys that are really gonna threaten him, but you gotta block those guys still. You gotta win against those guys too. And he absolutely dominated in that one. So that was I still don't think he stays at tackle, but the more games like that, the more I can you know, I can be talked into him, possibly staying at tackle because he's playing obviously all left tackle this year.
0: He's got, I think, the highest or one of the highest positively graded run block percentages of any tackle or any offensive lineman really in the country right now. Yeah, he did that against Mississippi State. The other piece of that, too, is there's a play at 739 in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. where he literally drives. In pa- he's a, it's a pass protection rep, but he ends up driving the defensive end like 16 yards down the football field, puts him in the turf, and gets called for a personal foul. Still earning an 87.1 grade despite the foul. Which he, is uh, Game to watch for him.
1: Two weeks. Clemson. There you go. That's the one you want to watch.
0: Next one on my list here, Dante Demas Jr., friend of the pod, Maryland receiver. Yes, they went against Howard, but still, I thought what was interesting here is he had a different level of usage against Howard. They kept him a little bit close to the line of scrimmage. A lot lower average depth to target this week. Can show he could do some stuff after the catch against Howard. Also had a touchdown where he stared down the cornerback for a good like 15 seconds. I thought that was pretty nice. 87.0 PFF grade. I know Dante is also high on your list.
1: Yeah, this is a guy who even I liked him going into the season got talked out of putting him in the top 100 but he's in the top 100 now he might be the biggest riser at the receiver position that i've seen so far this year and obviously not co- top competition yet but just at 6-3 damn near 220 pounds how quickly he gets off the line of scrimmage i'm very intrigued i i think that he's going to be a 4-4 guy um at that size and that's That'll get you drafted pretty highly. Uh, Not a lot of guys that size running 4-4s go in like the 5th, 6th. You go in the 3rd, 4th, if you're that. And he could even go higher than that.
0: Absolute stud. Demas Jr. for Maryland. Next one on my list. I bucketed all these guys because they went against some of the worst tackles in college football, but they graded really well. And I thought, you know, continue to check boxes. We talk a lot about competition. You have to do it against... When you're, when you're going against terrible offensive tackles, it's expected that you grade well. Let's highlight those performances. Not every highly regarded edge defender in college football going against cupcake competition graded like these folks. Nick Benito of Oklahoma, George Karloftis of Purdue, and King, Kingsley and Agbury of South Carolina all played really, really good football. Karloftis specifically only played, I think, the first half against UConn dominated. Nick Benito, has an array of moves, is super athletic and super slippery to block, specifically in run defense. He had another good game as well. And then Kingsley, largely unblockable for South Carolina this past week, another really impressive performance. For him.
1: Yeah, I, I really can't wait to see testing numbers for Benito and Anegbary because they're both just so they, they physically dominate tackles. Like they they do not they don't get touched sometimes. Like they they are just that level explosive. And now is it. Are, are they going to be like four or five guys, or are they going to be like four seven guys who just have a little bit of quicks and maybe don't have necessarily the pure explosiveness to threaten at the NFL level?
0: Nagbury seven total pressures against East Carolina this past week. He had probably the best competition of any of those edges I just listed, but still, um, some cupcake competition for he all was, of them. Were- yeah, he was just playing with guys yeah last one here and this is a good segment into your biggest risers segment but one of the top performers another edge player and i didn't bucket him with the others because he actually went against some legit competition for washington jackson kirkland the left tackle for washington dominated 80.1 pff grade for aiden hutchinson in this game multiple really really impressive pass rushing reps also looked good against the run the commentators in that game literally had no like just what consistently talked about hutchinson and for good reason obviously a bruce hudman's freaks list guy a guy that we've talked about on a guy that returned to school to do exactly what he's doing now rise up draft boards
1: yeah he was overpowering Kirkland he, he was the much more physically developed of the two like he was the stronger like he was just anything he wanted to do he was pretty much getting in that game um yeah Hutchinson's Hutchinson's not making it out of the top well we'll get to that when we get to the,
0: the segment later on we'll just say Hutchinson's next segment, bro. Let's talk about it now.
1: Well, well I, uh, that's not even this segment that we're getting to later on. But Hutchinson, um, yeah, I mean, he's playing a lot pure edge uh, this year. Like, he was kind of their uh, guy who would kick inside last year, and I thought he could excel in kind of a 3-4 defensive end type of role. But now I almost like him as, like, the way, how how talented he is at kind of setting up opposing tackles. I like him as just, like, a pure that outside defensive end don't even worry about kicking him inside cuz this guy can make a difference uh, at that spot.
0: His PFF grade also has improved like every year of his career. 90.5 PFF pass rushing grade through 2 games, Western Michigan and Washington, 10 total pressures. My goodness, the guy off to a stellar start and I think he's going to be a guy we consistently talk about into the off season into April. All right, next on your biggest risers list. We already talked about him too, but Dante Demas Jr. we can we, we the, the top performers in biggest yeah, risers say, You
1: stole some on your Demis. One of the biggest risers, I said, Iguanu. Like what he's done at left tackle and pass protection this year, definitely rising at boards. And then the next one here, I'll highlight Chris Rodriguez, Kentucky. And now, a couple fumbles. Never going to be good, but fumbles is more of a sample size thing. We've talked about that. Fumbles, drops. You want to see one one in a game is not necessarily impactful to your draft status. Now, one every couple games for a whole season. That can be impactful to your draft status, but really hasn't been an issue. Didn't fumble once last year, so I'm not super worried about it yet, but 204 yards, 27 carries, five broken tackles, just churning yards after contact, damn near four yards after contact. I I think he has a little more juice. I think he slimmed down a bit from what he was last year and, and has a little more home run, big playability in his game, and even as a receiver, looks a little bit better. So I think... Now, he's obviously going to be limited in that regard, and you kind of know what you're getting into for guys 5'11", 225, but if you're looking for a power back in this class, he might be the top guy.
0: Can we get Could a be. quick break in the risers and fallers segment before I touch? We t- James Palmer of mm-hmm. NFL Media just said on national TV that Tyreek Hill is the best D threat in national and NFL history. <laughs> After anti-trash, Anthony Anthony Trash. an analyst here at PFF got legitimately put on a barbecue. I think I saw multiple memes of him on a barbecue for having that same take. Now James Palmer, for whatever reason, is not getting the same hate. I'm not sure why, but here we are. The, uh, the that's uh, it is
1: not even might be. No, he is is
0: yeah. Wow. Which is impressive. I think a lot of people will come to defend James Palmer before they come to defend Anthony Trash, but we'll see. We'll absolutely see. For uh, C-Rod, some of the concerns I have, I know he's a friend of the pod. Mm -hmm. What about about the long speed?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I I said it wasn't – I thought it's a little bit better this year. Like I said, I thought he slimmed down a touch. It's never going to be good, but – Najee Harris isn't good. Josh Jacobs isn't good. The, lot, the amount of power backs who have long speed is like Saquon Barkley. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, that's why he was the alien that went number two overall. There's not a lot of dudes that are in the 225-plus range that you can count on to hit home runs.
0: And where would you play DeMarvin Leal at the next level? So, yeah, next biggest riser here,
1: DeMarvin Leal against Colorado, monster game. I, I mean, pretty much unblockable in the run game. And the biggest thing why I loved this tape – and probably one to go back to 18 snaps in the interior he was that versatile guy in this we've talked about the so the texas a and defensive end is 290 plus pounds 6-4 but they play him at edge where there's not a lot of 290 plus pound guys at edge in the nfl so where is he going to end up his tape on the interior double teams a little bit of an issue but man he was good against guards i want him going up against guards as a pass rusher i thought it how he wins with his hands, so much pop in his hands, that is going to play. That's where I want to see him. And 18 reps at defense tackle in this game very impressive on them.
0: I think uh, the word I came away with watching his tape this week is just control. Like, never felt out of control, even against Kyle Rock. Yeah. Like, just like, just completely in control on run snaps and pass snaps. He was a, good a monster for two weeks. For two weeks now. Just continues to dominate. Um, before we get to the biggest follower segment, we're getting news breaking left and right, and I apologize. And I know that James oh, one wasn't that big of news, but Eric Bienemi <laughs> is emerging as a top candidate for the USC job. He's from Southern California. and oh, cool. As people, he, you know, Adam Schefter was reporting this from league sources that USC has been one of the college jobs that would interest him. Your immediate reaction?
1: Now, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about the NFL ranks. But for a team like USC, you that would appeal for them. Mm-hmm. You know, like you think about the 04, 05, that range of teams. It was... Pete Carroll was, you know, former coach in the NFL. You know, former coach with the Patriots. He was trying to develop NFL talent. That's what appealed to that program. I think getting another guy who came from the NFL is going to be like, oh, I can, you know, is you're going to get a ton of offensive talent. You're going to get a ton of offensive recruits. If you get a guy who was Patrick Mahomes' offense coordinator for sure. So that's interesting. I would love to see. Wait, hate to see that as a Notre Dame fan.
0: <laughs> hate to see that. Uh, biggest fallers kick us off. Biggest fallers.
1: First one here, I will go Michael Wright. The Michael Wright, the Oregon cornerback because my god. Now he they I do want to know if like they told him just don't get cooked deep because he was giving up so much space underneath to those two Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, but eight catches on 11 targets, 130 yards, a touchdown. And now some of that the touchdown was the play, the infamous looking at his wristband as the ball snapped. Garrett Wilson just runs right by, by him. But he was not – he just was not ready to be in the same stratosphere as Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. He was not at that level quite yet. And so the guy had high hopes going into the season. It's just kind of like that was more – that was late day two tape. That was not a guy who could be around one tape yet. Now, it's early in the season, but that was, that was kind of what I saw from him against two – obviously the two best wide receivers in college football
0: and honestly you know to since we're talking more about that game the this the third the, the number 3 in that offense is also damn good Jackson Smith and Jigbo was a monster in that game, I thought he's a, he's like kind of that next line for Ohio yeah. State after Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson entered the draft. But oh, buddy, he has got some speed. He was consistently creating separation. Also, was like C.J. Stroud's favorite guy, favorite target in that game. So that's another talented receiver to watch for Ohio State. That Oregon secondary didn't have a ton of. It. I mean, people talk about Stroud not playing well. Yes, he was inaccurate, but buddy still had over 400 yards. Um, was get, getting a lot of what he had. All right, next follower on this list is who?
1: Next follower is going to be Cade Otten. The Washington tight end. If you'll think back, that was one of the questions. Hey, what do you think about Kate Otten? Um, and while he's not, he's probably a plus athlete for the tight end position, tight end is still a very much also a ball skills driven position. He goes one of five in contested catches. Just did not look strong at the catch point in that game against Michigan. Um, could have considered one of them a drop, but I don't think we ended up charting it as one. But man, you want. You want tight ends to win in those situations consistently and to go one of five was not great for him
0: consistently targeted in that offense so 19 targets 11 receptions for 115 yards so far through two weeks going against some good defenses in michigan and montana not montana but this uh how much of this is otten how much of this is just this awful putrid washington offense i mean i'm saying those were
1: on on a Mm -hmm. lot of those were actually not even in bad spots a handful of those throws which is surprising but
0: uh yeah not a great day at the office last one texas's DeMar, uh, DeMarvion Overshone who I, there's a lot of high hopes around Texas this week I know Anthony Trash on the college football live show was big on Texas big on Hudson Card Hudson Card now sent to the bench and DeMarvion Overshone showing up on the followers list for you yeah so he was
1: Marvin overshone is a six foot four 223 pound linebacker started his career off at safety played linebacker the past couple seasons and the, he was the he was kind of why they lost this game against Arkansas. They were running light boxes, trying you know, five six man boxes up front, trying to stop the outside, you know, screen game, that sort of thing, and basically saying, We'll stop the run well enough. Well they didn't. They they did not have guys who were making plays in the run game, overshone four missed tackles on nine attempts, almost half his tackles in the game he missed, was getting blocked by tight ends cleanly, taken out of plays by guys that you know, Arkansas offensive line not awful by any means, but this isn't Bama's O-line they're going up against. This isn't you know a future, number of future day one, day two type of picks. You should not be getting blocked that cleanly and Overshone just had himself a nightmare of a game.
0: Rough to see, and everyone end up on the fallers list, which is just what you never want to see as we head into college football week three. But you also have some other li- lists that you hate to get on. Before we get to those, I have to let the people know about Homefield Apparel, a proud sponsor of the Tailgate sp- the, the Tailgate Podcast. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of big news Saturday season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at twelve p.m. Eastern for sixteen weeks straight. The Just recently released Georgia, North Carolina, and Florida. And they'll be releasing another this Saturday. I'm wearing, obviously, the San Diego State tee, which you freaking love to see. And you're wearing Wisconsin Wisconsin. National Champs repping Home Field Apparel. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That is promo code PFF for 15% off. Get ready for college football tailgate season. On to bus watch. Yes. This is an easy one. This one's probably been a bust for a while now. Go ahead.
1: Cleland Furl, the number four overall pick, was a healthy scratch in week one this year. And we talked about, you know, you know, he's a backup. It's like, okay, Crosby and Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, it's like a pretty solid edge deal. There's no shame in necessarily being third fiddle to those guys. Even
0: though Crosby was drafted in the fourth round after he well, was drafted. Crosby's very good,
1: though. Like we uh, even said what I say after his, their rookie years. I'm like, I'd rather have Crosby. He was the better athlete. He was more productive as a rookie. There's nothing that says that he shouldn't be the better one right now. Um, but Furl, like if Furl was drafted where we had him, a lot of people had him, mid kind of second round type of player, this wouldn't be that big a deal. But you drafted him number four overall. And so for number four overall pick to be a healthy scratch in year three, week one, I, I don't think there's any way he's not a bust at yeah. this point for the expectations set. Exactly. With the number four exactly.
0: I, and I almost tweeted this yesterday, but Raiders fans can be fr- fr- frantic. Cleveland for All did not bust. Mike Mayock busted. This is a player that you look at who was, you know, you look at who was, um, you know, where he was positioned on average, the consensus board, I consistently reference. Mm-hmm. Not a single person had him anywhere near fourth overall. And again, it's being overconfident in your evaluation of this specific player to draft him at number four overall, rather than taking other players in that range that other people have seen as talented players. Brian Burns, for example, who's on an absolute tear after week one, or Josh Allen, a much better player, more productive, at least not a healthy scratch. Instead, you take Cleveland Furl, and he is now a healthy scratch for your football team. And then the other piece of this, too, that we didn't bring up, and I'm not saying he's on bus watch yet, but like David Arnett played one snap in that game. Played one snap after being a first-rounder, not, not two years ago, one year ago. He's a first-rounder a year ago. Damon Arnett plays one snap behind Casey Hayward. Nate Hobbs, the rookie out of Illinois, got more snaps, more play than Damon Arnett did. Damon, <laughs> Arnett, was, Damon Arnett was playing special teams like that. Yeah. That and you'll hear John Gruden talk about. Um, you know, it doesn't matter where you were drafted, we're playing the best players. And that's fine. But you only get so much money, you know, you only get so much you know, let's go to the office reference. Your mom gives you five dollars to start a star lemonade stand, you use five you use four dollars and fifty cents on Cleveland Furrell and Damon Arnett, and then you make a good football team out of the last fifty cents, that doesn't mean you're successfully running the stand. You know, that means you're shitting the bed with the first four dollars and fifty cents, as they have with Cleveland Furrell, Damon Arnett. These two picks, on their way to being bust, I would agree with you, though, that Cleveland Furl, any player drafted in the top five that has a healthy scratch week one into his third season in the NFL, is not a W by any means. Yeah. And I'd argue that Gruden's, we play. We it doesn't matter where you're drafted, we just play you. I just don't know necessarily, um, I just don't necessarily, that's a good reason still to draft them. So, Furl firmly on bust watch, but we're going to add a new bust watch to the bust
1: watch, mm. which is Hall of Fame bust. I like that. So we're adding guys who have you know good performances maybe later in their career, and we debate, are they Hall of Famers? We can't do this every week, you think? Yeah. I mean, there, there's going to be. And the, this week, I think the only name that qualifies strongly for this is Chandler Jones, Arizona Cardinals. Do you know where he ranks among active players in terms of sacks? I'm going to say sixth. Second. Wow. Von Miller first, who... First ball, Ballot Hall of Famer. If you listen to the Hall of Fame episode, we, called that, we said that one ready, But he has more than J.J. Watt. Wow. He was drafted the year after J.J. Watt and has a, one more sack than J.J. Watt. Obviously, five sacks last week. Uh, helped that. And played, a, played a lot more games. Yes, and J.J. Watt being injured. But still, Hall of Fame is a sort of statistically driven uh, award or honor. Given, most likely, more often than not. And so he's 31st all-time in sacks. And now they've only been tracking sacks since 1982, but still 31st all-time. He could very easily climb with two more productive seasons into the top 20. And I think if you're here top 20 sacks all-time, I think... There's not a lot of guys I'm looking at in this top 20 that aren't going to be Hall of Famer.
0: Yeah, I, I like Hall of Fame bus watch, not calling him a lock like we do with some of the other segments, but at least mm-hmm. entering the conversation for sure. I think yeah. the other piece of this game too. We didn't talk a lot about the Chandler Jones game, but he did it against legit offensive tackles and Taylor Luan. Mm-hmm. And also did it these were not, you know, um, you know, chase, you know, uh, what do we call those? Um, Pursuit sacks. These were like legitimate yeah.
1: wins. This guy was there was one that was unblocked that he oh. just, but it, but it was him recognizing that it was you know a stretch play play fake, mm-hmm. and he went right to the quarterback instead of chasing the stretch.
0: He was utterly impressive, and I would argue that you know I like where your head's at with the sacks all time. I think he's uh, he's on his way. And I will say about Chandler Jones two things: one, he has a game that should age gracefully.
1: He's thirty-one years old, but he does not win with first step quicks. He does not win with pure athleticism. He is wins with the fact that he has damn near 36-inch arms and that he is so technically sound and has one of the best approaches of any pass rusher in the NFL. So he should theoretically be able to play into his mid-30s health, obviously barring there, and still be productive. And two, he clowns the elite tackles in the NFL as much as any defensive end in the NFL. Like He doesn't necessarily—he's not going to go out, and if he's facing a— I'm trying to think of just a bad starting left tackle. A Julian Davenport for the Indianapolis Colts, he's not necessarily going to every single play win. Like, he doesn't have that one go to move that's going to beat you every single time. But against Tyron Smith, against a Trent Williams, against a Tyron Armstead, he will beat those guys more than your run of the mill, you know, your other high end pass rushers. He has that sort of move set as one of the most respected pass rushers in the league. So I do think Chandler Jones. Health bust I'd put it more likely than not trajectory wise what
0: about a, what about a third bust I have one <laughs> should the Cardinals bust open the checkbook and give him that extension he's won I thought you were going to bring up like Johnny Sins or something though. stop what do you think should they pay him I mean they, now he's kind of forcing their hand I mean this guy is in ta- on a tear
1: um that's tough. That one is tough because, I, like I said, I think he'll age gracefully. I, they should have addressed that one prior to the season. Prior because, to the
0: five-sack game, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Price just went the fuck up for Chandler Jones. Yeah. His agent is counting the percentages he's improving I would have loved
1: to have gotten like a two-year... $30 million extension prior to, basically with the J.J. Watt, I would have loved to have given to Chandler
0: Jones prior to the season. I would have loved to have gotten that, honestly. <laughs> but, uh, on to one more uh, sponsor here. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions, like when should I start thinking about life insurance? For however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement and investments. Big shout out to Western Southern, a proud sponsor of the Tailgate Podcast. We have I changed the name of one of yours here. Yeah. You call this the I F'd up watch. We had a comment on YouTube and a comment on Apple Podcasts saying he likes to listen to the podcast around his kids. Let's think about the kids. Okay. We, don't, we don't have to you know we do drop some F bombs, some S bombs, whatever. Bleep do they even say S bombs? Regardless. We don't have to <laughs> name a segment with a curse word in it. I don't think we okay. have to be that degenerate. It's a whiff watch. So whiff watch. Who is someone you whiffed on now looking back on your draft boards? Yeah.
1: This one this one's been a whiff watch. But I had hoped at some point in time there would be I don't know, say a breakout, but it, it would have justified it. But Jordan Lewis, fifth-year cornerback, Dallas Cowboys, was the 24th overall player in PFF's draft, draft board back in 2017. Was, had some exceptional plays in coverage there at Michigan. Was great in man, but was a undersized, limited athlete. That's the combo that you worry about in the NFL. And now he really is not much more, never going to be much more, in my opinion, than a pure like a pure manslot cornerback, and that doesn't have a ton of necessarily value in the NFL this past week against Tampa Bay. Thirty five point two coverage grade. Uh yeah, he had the pick. That was on the Hail Mary. Um gave up a touchdown in that game, just has not lived up to that billing.
0: What so percentage what percentage of the PFF whiffs, specifically from like the 2017, 2018, and maybe even the 2019 NFL draft boards before you had full control, would you argue? What percentage of the whiffs would you argue because of not completely addressing or properly factoring in height? Weight and athleticism, because I think a lot of those early sure. draft boards yeah. were so predicated on he graded really well and looked really good. Production, yeah, Which, production. It was production.
1: We, like we wanted the grades to be to be predictive.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and the grades are thinking. predictive in some ways. Yeah. There are some like pass rushing grades, pass block grades, where I've like a lot of predictive power in those. But I think as the years have progressed and wide draft boards, I think have improved. Haven't been so much because you're in control, but I think there has been this collective realization at PFF that hey, wait a second athleticism, size, all that stuff needs to be heavily factored in to our scouting process because of level of competition, because of if you're not a you know top 50, top 75 percentile athlete, it's very difficult to have success in the NFL. That's just a fact. Yeah. That's a fact. And Eric Eager, and I brought this up a thousand times, VP of Research and Development, has looked at some of the most predictive data we have access to from college to NFL, and time and time again it's things like height, weight, speed score, athleticism score, stuff that is actually controllable from college to NFL. I do think that those early draft Draft boards, guys that we really liked, Higgins, Lewis, Scooby Wright. I mean, there's these guys that, like, yeah, they they graded really well and were productive, but, man, you need athletes to win the NFL. Did we find some gems? Trey Flowers, Grady Jarrett, Mm -hmm. absolutely. But I do think a lot of those whiffs, specifically from those early draft boards, were just late to factoring in legitimate athletic or physical tools. Mm
1: I agree.
0: I agree. That's it. That's all you got. All right, breakout watch. Daryl Taylor of the Seattle Seahawks. Woo. Daryl
1: Taylor obviously didn't play all his rookie season because of injury. This past week against Indy, ninety point five pass rushing grade had one of the best pass rushes of the week, where he flat pancake Braden Smith, a right tackle who just got paid big bucks there for Indy, and, and no trip, no. Uh, no running back clipping his heel. No stepping on a guy's foot. Just a pure bull rush that put Braden Smith on his back that you don't see too often. So 90.5 pass rushing grade was obviously only 12 pass rushing snaps, 26 total snaps. Not a whole huge sample size. But you can't fake that kind of explosiveness, that kind of power against a right tackle like Braden Smith. You're going to have to have something there to do that. So I'm excited to see what he puts on tape because Seattle's defensive line was dominating, and not just Julian Davenport, some other guys on that offensive line. Yeah, I think their
0: defensive line as a whole really did exceed expectations. Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson among the group that did a big breakout for Daryl Taylor. Lastly, and this is one of my favorite segments we're doing weekly now, because every week, you're going to have to add another piece here. First round lock, breakdown, who you've already added to the first round lock list for the 2022 NFL Draft, and who you're adding this week.
1: Start with Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon defensive end, went to Derek Stingley Jr., the LSU cornerback, then Evan Neal, the Alabama offensive tackle, and the fourth one that I'm adding, like I said, I hinted at it earlier, Aiden Hutchinson. Really? Aiden Hutchinson's first-round lock. That that athletic going up against another NFL tackle and beating him to that degree, he's going to go in the first round.
0: Wow. I did not expect Aiden Hutchinson would be this early on the list. And I didn't I... either,
1: but he's been exceptional this year. Truly, truly has been coming back from that broken leg.
0: Fantastic stuff, Mike. Another episode in the books for the Tailgate podcast. Remember to make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And Ask us questions. Follow PFF underscore Tailgate on Twitter. Send us a DM or leave us a question on Apple Podcasts to get that answered on the Thursday episode here on Tailgate. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, producer Max Chadwick, Tailgate.